Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Claudia Miller is a bilingual English and Spanish career coach and host of the podcast Roadmap to the Executive Suite. She helps serious professionals secure dream jobs with dream salaries at their dream companies. She has also helped her clients negotiate salary increases up to $50,000. Claudia holds her Master of Public Health from the University of Illinois. She has co-authored publications such as Salary Negotiations, Negotiating the Package, and Networking, It's Your Superpower. Claudia has been featured in publications such as Forbes and Business Insider and was named one of the top 23 most innovative career coaches of 2020 by Business Insider. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Claudia. I'm so happy to be here, Emily. I know we're going to talk about some really good stuff today. Well, we are so glad that we found you. And this episode is so timely because we've had some discussions lately in the Hazard Girls Facebook group about some of these issues. And a few people have written in and asked me some questions to ask you. So it's perfect timing. But I want to start with you first because we need to learn a little bit more about Claudia. What's your journey? Where did you start out? How did you end up in executive career coaching? Well, I actually started off first as an architecture major. So I went and did, I interned with Frank Lloyd Wright's grandson. I did competitions and everything. I wanted to be an architect, or at least I thought so. And I'm an extrovert. <laughs> and at the time, my mentor asked me, you know, why do you want to be an architect? And you know, I'm the first one in my family to graduate from high school. So let alone have like a bachelor's and I have a master's now. And, you know, I was like, well, it's because of the prestige is very like, when I say I want to be an architect, I always got like, oh, wow, an architect. <laughs> and, but that honestly, like, it's not something I truly was passionate about. So that's when my mentor said, you know what, like, if this is not something you're really truly passionate about, probably start exploring other opportunities, especially because you're an extrovert. Most architects are kind of like alone in their corner, either with their sketching or they're on AutoCAD computers trying to create a lot of these blueprints or fixing them. So I started exploring and I went into finance and, you know, that's where I got my job first. And honestly, it was very disappointing. It was very disappointing? Disappointing. I feel like I'm a type A person where, you know, I got straight A's, I volunteered, I, you know, worked internships. I mean, like I'm a Gates Millennium Scholar. So I am very like, let me check off all the boxes, everything to ensure success. What is the scholarship called? Gates Millennium. So it's like Bill Gates and Melinda Gates Scholarship Foundation, where it's a full ride for my Oh, very prestigious. Yes. Yeah. I think there's around 50 to 80,000 applicants and only a thousand get accepted. That's amazing. So I thought I was going to have like a lot of interviews pouring in and I only had one interview and thankfully they offered me a job, but I knew I could not move up in my career with just one interview and hoping that they give me the job. So right. I really went and went on this, embarked on this journey of figuring out like, okay, I need to find out this other side. How do people get promoted? 
how can I get noticed and how do I become like the perfect timing, the right place? And you got the promotion. Like, how does that actually really happen? Because it clearly is not getting an education and working really hard and doing the internships. That's not going to be enough because I did those things and it wasn't enough for me. So it really was like around four or five year journey where I heavily invested in career coaches, resumes. I read books. I attended workshops. I networked with people. I mean, you name it. And finally got those results where I was able to transition from finance into the education and then got $30,000 salary increase. Then I went to the healthcare setting, another 30K increase. I went and got another job and another 30K increase and, you know, really increased my income, you know, from like making 30K all the way to six figures within a few years. And I was successful in my job. So that's really where it all started. And I've worked now, like I said, it started with architecture, doing internships, and then finance, healthcare in a hospital setting, healthcare in a corporate setting. And every single time I was able to move effortlessly through all those industries with salary increases. So interesting. Well, a lot of our audience, many of the women in our audience have architecture backgrounds because, (laughs) you know, the hazard girls, a lot of them come from like these construction fields and many of them are architects. But it's very interesting to me that you not only were in the architecture field, but you really went across many different industries. And now you're able to apply these skills that you've learned across the industry. So it's not just one field. It's not just tech. It's not just construction. You can really apply these across the board. So I think that that should be pretty interesting to hear your take on that. Some of the things that we have been discussing in the group have to do with the issue of moving into the C-suite. Like, how do you do it? And more importantly, how do you, well, that's debatable. You have to get there. But if you do, you know, once you get into that position, how do you do it in a way that secures the right terms and salary? And then once you're there, how do you succeed? So I'm excited to get into some of these topics. I'm going to start with the idea of job hunting. But before we talk about that, what is the climate like right now? We know there's a major worker shortage across industries, but how is that affecting the job search for people? Well, as a job seeker, there's a lot of opportunities out there. And especially if you're able to market yourself and brand yourself the right way, you have a lot of leverage. Like recently, I've talked to, I keep a lot of contact with, you know, professionals as their HR recruiters. And now it's just so hard to find the right top talent that they're even offering retention bonuses. So it's, you can ask for your salary plus a bonus based on comp, um, performance plus a retention bonus. Okay, we are going to get into that. We are going to get into the discussion on salary. But let's stick with this for a second because I want to hear about just job hunting. Like, How can you differentiate yourself when you're out there applying for jobs? It's really understanding what most people do. Most people don't really focus on branding. They'll just say, well, I need a job. So let me spruce up and update my resume and start applying but they're not really branding themselves for the job they want. They just have that branding along with the jobs they have. So for example, if someone is a like data analyst and they want to apply for a senior data analyst, they're not even focusing on like, what are they looking in a senior data analyst? Like what is important? What is the hardest, you know, top three skills to hire for in this role? And if that were to be the case, then I would say, you know, let's just say I worked for three years as a data analyst. I would plan myself as a data analyst professional with a background in, you know, business intelligence and two other top three skill sets where I know it's going to differentiate me. And the best way is to find out what are the three hardest skills to hire for. 
because that's what we know is really missing either in the branding or in other candidates that an employer were to say, if I find a data analyst with these three scales, like I would be blown away. Like that would be finding that unicorn. And it's really easy to find out those three skills. You just go and ask professionals or, you know, people that would already be in those roles. So for example, a director of analytics, you reach out to them and ask them, you know, what are the three hardest skills for to hire for, for a senior data analyst and have them give you the answers. And then you prepare when it comes to that interview process. And that's what you lead with, with your resume, cover letter, LinkedIn, and throughout the whole entire interview process. And that's how you gain leverage as well. That is great advice. And what if you're just getting into a field? Like say you've been on one career journey and you switch to another, but you're new in this particular industry. How do you, say you've gone out and got an internship, for example, and maybe you've been doing it for a few months, but it's not a whole resume of that particular career. How do you then market your background to those three skills that you've just discovered are needed? It could be towards projects, whether you've done that at school or maybe you're volunteering and maybe you're helping create a website, whatever that is, you can use a lot of projects. And you want to lead with like the top three skills, again, that you want to hire for. So I've had clients transition industries and still get, you know, at least $30,000, $40,000 salary increases. They didn't have to start from scratch. They didn't feel like they needed to pay their dues again, even though it's a new industry. We were able to easily translate that because there's always transferable skills. Like all of us have transferable skills. You know, communication, project management, doesn't matter what industry you're in, you can always translate that and bring that into the industry. But it's also identifying your market differentiator. And what I mean by that is, you know, especially if you're changing industries, you want to make sure that you're going along with what you're going for. And here's what I mean. I'll break that down a little bit. Okay. So let's just say that you're currently in tech and you want to go into manufacturing. Well, what I would recommend to a client saying, if you want to go into manufacturing, why don't you make a list of all the manufacturing companies that you've worked with as a tech professional or research manufacturing companies that specialize in tech, maybe some hardware. And now we can brand that person to say, you know what, we have your background, whether it's like a project management in the tech industry now coming into the manufacturing side of the business. So that way, now you can stand out from the competition. Most other candidates are going to have manufacturing background, working for a project management, project manager in manufacturing. So it's a straight shot. But when you can come in and say, well, I understand the project process from the customer side. I am coming from the technology side of it. So where I can be an asset to the company is when I work with different departments, you know, in managing these projects, I can understand the end objective, which is always making sure the customer is happy and we apply to this. And I can speak to both technical and non-technical professionals because I bring in that expertise from the client side. Oh, this is amazing. Yeah, this is really good advice. That might see that might not occur to many people. They might be applying for a job as a data analyst thinking like I need to emphasize all my data skills, but there are other skills that they have that will apply to the data, to whatever industry they're in. Exactly. And now other candidates can't compete with that because they'll just say, well, I have experience in manufacturing, but you're right. I don't necessarily have tech skills. So I don't even know what the client is looking for, what their process looks like. So now you become, you know, like that asset that no one else can compete with because of that specific skill set. That's amazing advice. 
Now, okay, let's jump into the idea of interviewing. So you've gotten yourself in the door with your amazing resume. How do you prepare for that interview? Let's say, for example, it's a management role or it's an executive level role that you have. It would be your first time in that level of role. Where do you start? Is there a roadmap? Yes. And for most people, when they get an interview, they'll start preparing once they get the interview. So for example, they got the interview and it's maybe later in the week, Friday, then they'll start today prepping for that interview. When I work with my clients, we prepare three to four weeks in advance. So we already know exactly what companies we're going to identify or focus on because we already vetted them out. We're going to make sure this company is going to set you up for success. We know that this company seems to be healthy financially and where are they looking to go in the next few years? That's going to go alongside with where I'm going in my trajectory. So here's what I mean. If a company is doing a product release and they just spent three years creating this product and now they're selling it, well, if you're in product management or engineer, that's probably not going to be that good of a company to go to just because they already invested in creating this product. Now they're going to focus on selling it. But if you're in sales and marketing, well, this is the perfect time for you to start working at this company because a lot of focus and money and investments are going to go to ensure success. And vice versa, maybe they have a company where they'll say, you know, we want, we're trying to penetrate into this market. So we're going to be creating a product around it where it can fill in these gaps in the market. Well, that's where I would want to go if I was an engineer, because again, I'm going to be set up for success along with what I'm trying to do in my career. So you're saying, you're saying that job seekers should be particular. They shouldn't just, you know, apply everywhere. They should really make sure they're researching the company and that it's going to help ensure their own success rather than putting their efforts into something that's not going to. Yeah. And one of the things I've seen now, especially because of COVID happening, is you want to make sure to go into a company that's setting you up for success. Because of COVID, there's some companies that done layoffs or restructuring. And imagine, you know, you come in as a first-time manager or director and they'll say, well, we want you to create this much output. Before, we couldn't even make this output with 10 people, but we're going to give you five, but we're going to still expect that same output. And today's your first day of work and there's no additional resources and we're not giving you additional headcount. Well, at that point, you're going to be set up, especially if your compensation is related to your performance, you're going to fail and you're going to hate it. You're already going to be burnt out and then you're going to be job searching in the next few months or in a year or two, but you're not going to be happy. Whereas this person who went to the right company and was set up and ensured success they're able to skyrocket through their careers and eventually get promotions, they get wins, and they might have the same level of skill set and talent, but this company was positioned them to succeed while this other one was really setting up to fail. Now, let's talk about, so once you found a company that's good for you, you've gotten in the door with your amazing resume and you have your interview and they're setting you up maybe for a second interview where you know you're, you're going to be asked about salary this says this is a situation that's been coming up in the group where someone might be doing a job and they realize that a position that has come up is actually the job that they've been doing. Maybe they don't have that title, but it's basically the same work. Should they be getting the title and salary to reflect that? And how can they market themselves 
within the same company when they feel like that's the job that they've been doing? So they can go through the job posting and start highlighting all the things that they've done and you want to build a business case around it. So for example, if you've been doing the job of a senior data analyst and now you're coming in to like different meetings and then you're bringing your analysis and how to interpret that into solutions and working with the engineers and developing those features, start writing that down. Because we can't just go into a room or to a manager saying, you know, I've done a lot of this, so I should get paid as a senior yeah. analyst. And it's like, well, do you have proof? Let's talk about it. Actually, everyone is. And it's easy to disarm another person when it comes to with that argument. But if you were to come in and say, you know, Emily, I you know, had a great, you know, 12 months working here, especially as a data analyst, and I really appreciate you know, the possibility or the opportunity to really develop these skill sets. And since I started working, I've been able to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I was doing some research and I was looking at positions and I came to realize that, you know, my skill set now will probably be warranted as a senior data analyst. And since I've already been currently doing this, how can we make this transition happen? Mm. Oh, I like that. So rather than I'd like to be considered for this job. It's how can we make this happen? Is, that, is it the way you're framing that? Yep. How can we make this transition happen? But again, you want to build a business case around it, not, yeah. oh, I've been doing this job and why does that person or why did I get passed up for promotion? I can easily disarm anyone with that argument. But when you come in with your value, the work that you've done, and you can showcase, oh, you know, I noticed the senior analyst, data analyst position. And from, you know, when, when reviewing it, I realized that I've been able to do this, this, and that. And here's some examples of what that looks like and what I've done. And I know I'm ready, you know, for this role. So how can we make this transition happen? Now, there are some companies where they have specific benchmarks, or it's like a great format of after three years, you get promoted to this role. And after you get two years, you get promoted to this role. And then if you want to get promoted, then you need to have like this master's or whatever it may be. Some companies like have a very heavy structure, while others do not have that. So really understanding that can really help you understand like how can you move up. If it's a company with a lot of structure, maybe they're just saying, we just need six more months and then, then you qualify for that promotion. Or other companies, once they feel like you're ready or someone wants you to get promoted, they just promote you. There's no requirements that you need to meet or anything whatsoever. So understanding that and then having that conversation. And then again, you want to show proof. Now, if your employer says, you know what, I agree, you know, let's work on getting you into this role. Maybe the budget, it's already towards the end of the budget. Maybe we want to include that in the budget. Have those conversations. Mm -hmm. Or if they say, you know what, Emily, it's, we're just not going to be able to. I'm sorry. But, you know, you're a really great employee and we appreciate it. Wait, wait, I thought I was the boss in this. I thought I was the boss in this scenario. How did I become <laughs> That was a situation where they're not promoting, you know, or they just can't. Well, then start looking elsewhere. You can promote yourself. You don't have to wait for someone to promote you. Yeah. Okay. Now, okay, let's say that you're in the office, you've had the interview, and you've been called back for the second interview, and you think you're getting it. Let's talk about negotiating the right terms and salary, you know, and, and setting yourself up to succeed once you're in that position. I mean, I know salary negotiation, it's so complicated, but can you give us I guess some basic tips and maybe some ideas about what might come up in those discussions and how to be prepared for them. I love salary negotiation. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I know you mentioned in my bio 50,000. So I've had clients recently during COVID had even received even up to a hundred thousand dollars in salary. Wow. wow. So one of the things I always start with is mindset. You have to change the mindset around. And what I mean is 
most people base off their next salary based on how much they're currently making. So if they're making 100K, well, it just makes sense that maybe the next row will be happy with like 110, 115. And instead, I tell my clients and you know anyone that you should be charging the market rates, not what you're currently making. So an analogy I love to use is, Emily, let's just say you bought a house for 100000 You're ready to sell. I'm willing to pay you 300000 for that same home. Are you really going to tell me? No, Claudia, I can't. I bought it for a hundred. Let me sell it to you for 120,000. It's just the right thing to do. Right. There's no way you're going to be like, Claudia, yes, I'll take the 300,000. And you actually got a bargain because there was so many offers put in. So same thing with your skill set, with the, even the role, even if you've never done it before, you have a lot of that transferable skill sets. Even if you worked on a lot of failed projects, that is still an asset because now you know what things or what is the perfect recipe to have a project fail. And mm-hmm. that is valuable. So instead you want to charge what the market is rate. So for example, maybe data analyst charge, you know, you can offer it around 75,000 for senior data analysts in this specific industry or company. Well, they're willing to pay 140,000. Well, then that's what you say your salary is. And how do you identify this number? Yeah. It's by networking. So I have clients reach out to people who used to be in the role. So let's just say again, you want to become a senior data analyst, you're applying for senior data analyst roles. Well, I'm going to probably reach out to the director of analytics and ask that person, you know, I tried to research online, it's such a huge salary discrepancy. I was hoping you could give me a better range of what an appropriate salary is for a senior data analyst. Now, people are more than happy to share how much they made back in the day. So if you were to ask me, Claudia, how much did you get paid on your first job? I would say, oh, it's $7.25 an hour. Why? Because it has nothing to do or show you of how much I'm getting paid now. So when you're networking, they might say, oh, yeah, back in the day when I was a senior data analyst, like we got paid around this range. Or they might say, you know what? I think feel like things have changed. I know for my employees, we pay them, you know, between 90 and 105. Then you want to ask, great, thank you so much. I appreciate it. What makes you offer a candidate 105000 as opposed to the ninety five? And now we're starting to learn what they value. And then we could even ask them, what is the hardest skill to hire for, for a senior data analyst? Oh, it's really hard to find someone that can do A, B, and C. Now we have the recipe of what we know they want, and it's hard to find. And that's how we're going to use that in our resume cover letter and interview process. And now we have a better salary range, what to ask. And I always say have a plan A, B, and C because you never know what companies, they might have that as a benefit already and it's no longer needed to negotiate. So one of the things when a perfect phrase that you can say when you're negotiating over the phone is, you know, thank you so much for the offer. I'm so excited. Let's just say the offer does 95,000. I'm actually looking for a salary of 105,000. Is there any way I'm offering 105,000? How can we close the gap? Yeah. How it's can we not, close the gap? Okay. Not if we can. It's how can we close the gap? Because it changes the person of like, oh, should we give them the gap? Instead of how can we decrease this gap? Should we give them a sign-on bonus? Should we give them more stock? Should we give them more in salary? Maybe it could be a combination of all three. Maybe we'll just pay for their master's program. They mentioned they were in their MBA. That's a good for as a company, we could put that as an expense and that doesn't come out of their pocket. There's so many ways they can get to that. So let them figure out how, like for my philosophy is, if you want to pay me in pennies for the extra 10, 15,000 I just asked for, 
go ahead, pay me in pennies, I'll go to the bank and it's still going to be worth that much. So so should you be giving them suggestions or should you let them come up with them? Like say you want an executive coach, should you suggest like, well, to close the gap, you could hire me an executive coach for X amount of years, or should you let them come up with the ideas? I will let them come up with the ideas first and okay. then bring the, because then again, you want to ask for what is some of those benefits provided by the company? There are companies that will provide you a professional stipend. If you go into the executive suite, sometimes they will already have an executive coach that you'll be working with or you can leverage and use. So you don't want to ask for something that they already offered because then you could have just added additional items for you to negotiate. So I would first start with the compensation portion and then you know want to bring up the benefits. And you can even say, you know, thanks so much for the offer. Would you mind sending me a list of the benefits, you know, for this role and for the company in itself? And that way you can make an assessment of like, what is it they have? What is it that they don't have? What do you value the most? And that's how we're going to create that hierarchy. So we want to start with compensation first and then benefits. Got it. Okay. Now I have a question in here from the Hazard Girls. We've had a few questions coming in. One of them is, She said, I've heard that creating an employee value proposition is important. How do you do that in a natural way? I would guess I would like to know a little bit more what they mean than employee value proposition. But how I'm interpreting is, well, how do I show like all my skill sets and my achievements? I'm assuming primarily for the year end review. So if that's... I think she was talking about in applying for an upper level position from a lower position. Okay. So how I would advise to make that transition is looking at job posting. And most people will tend to get intimidated saying, oh, I don't have everything in this job posting. I don't know how to technically qualify. I have some of that skill set. You're not supposed to qualify for everything in the job posting. And if you do, you need to move to the next step because you need to be able to challenge yourself and stay competitive in the marketplace. So that's so interesting because they say women, I mean, I've, we've all probably heard this by now, but that women tend to apply for jobs where they have all of the qualifications, but men tend to apply for jobs where they have a few, <laughs> a few of them, not all of them. And I think women are becoming more aware of that and trying not to do that anymore. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. And Personally, I used to apply to jobs where as long as I qualified at least 30, 40%, I would apply to it. Everything else I'm going to learn. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to sharpen my skill set. And even if I already had a lot of the experience, there's still so many things to learn. Different companies have different processes, different tools, software, people, organizations, and how you know people are in those roles. So that's always been a really good marker for me. And I've seen that across clients, especially, like you said, women. So a quick exercise, and I've had clients use this, and they absolutely love it, especially when I do corporate trainings too, is when you look at a job posting, have a green, yellow, and red marker. Highlight everything green that you have experience in. In yellow, highlight anything that you kind of have experience in, or maybe you have, but you're just not certified, or you did it at a small scale, you're not, you've never done it at a large scale. And then in red, it's everything you don't have experience in. You always want to have a level of red in every job posting out there. If you don't, like I said, there's not going to be that much opportunity for you to learn and stay competitive. So once you realize what you have, you kind of sort of have, but you feel you have a good skill set. And then the red, that's when you want to ask questions when you're networking, trying to find these answers. I saw that the certification, is that really needed? Or, you know, I know that they mentioned that we want to have a little bit of, maybe I need some experience or knowledge of cloud computing. I don't necessarily have that. I have all these other ones. Is that truly needed for this type of role? And if so, can you tell me a little bit more what specific 
information would be appropriate. So instead of taking a whole six, nine month course, or maybe you can just watch on that specific attribute that they're talking about. Maybe to just say, oh, we just need someone to know the foundations of it. Then you could probably go on LinkedIn learning and take like a weekend course and boom, you already have the foundation understanding. So it's really understanding that. And once you identify that, then you can come in and say, and apply to these roles, because now you know the greens, the experience you do have, that's where you want to focus on. And we also want to address the reds. And a good way to find out the reds or figure out like, what are the hesitations? After every interview, I always have my clients ask this question. And it's, you know, based on our conversation today, my background, do you have your support in moving forward to next steps? So you think it's okay just to ask that question at the end of the interview? You can ask that. Do I have your support in moving forward to next steps? Yes. They would say, yes, I think you're great, Emily. We're moving you forward. Or they might say, ah, you know what? We're really looking for someone with management experience and we need a little bit with someone that's more seasoned and, you know, has managed a team before. Thank you so much. You know, can you tell me a little bit more about what specific management experience you're looking for? If it's managing a team, I've actually been a project manager or I've led multiple projects across different departments, including engineering, finance, marketing, and you know, when I'm not at work, when I'm volunteering, I've been able to do these specific things. And also along with that, I've taken, and we know this information because all the information they gave us through networking, we were able to package it and start prepping for those questions. Sometimes they might just say, oh, we just need someone with a management experience, but they're not able to tell you why. Is it because you're going to have a hundred million dollar budget and you've never worked with a budget before? I mean, that could possibly you probably would not even enjoy that role if it was going to be at that large scale. But understanding that gives you a better overview and it also allows you to build a better business case. If it's, oh, we just need someone that's familiar with budgeting. You know, I don't have experience with that. After the interview, go ahead and take a quick budgeting course or email them on the thank you email saying, you know what, Emily, thank you so much for everything. I had a really great conversation after we discussed, you know, one of the things that you're looking for in a manager role is someone with budgeting experience. I went ahead and enrolled and found a few courses on budgeting specifically, you know, with what our discussion is. And I already reached out to two or three of my mentors who have experience in that in order for me to really be able to gather the skill set, you know, in the next few days or weeks. Wow. What you do is just so amazing for not just for women, but just for so many people who are looking to advance their careers. And I did have a question in the Hazard Girls group about, I guess, just about the concept of executive coaching and how to find the right person. Okay, here's what she said. She said, I feel like the market is flooded with coaches and I feel as overwhelmed by them as choosing for a financial planner. Are there certain credentials I should look for from executive coaches? What I will look for credentials is results. You can have all the credentials and none of their clients have had results. So just like a personal trainer, I'm not going to go with like a personal trainer has so many degrees, but none of their clients have lost weight or achieved any of their goals. Like I don't care what you can have a PhD and not get any results. So I focus on results. So if they're really looking for an executive coach, they can look up, you know, top executive coaches in my area, top executive coaches in your field. You can also, if you have relationships or you can start building relationships with, you know, maybe recent executives and then you can reach out to them saying, by the way, I know we're similar fields or congrats on your executive role. You know, I'm looking to transition or 
I was wondering, do you work with an executive coach? And if so, would you mind you know, sharing their information? I'm looking to really build up my skill sets. There's many different ways you can do, but always focus on the results. Can you tell me a little bit more who your clients are? You know, what does that process look like? Where do you focus on? Can you tell me like the growth that some of your clients have been able to achieve because of your work together? That's going to tell you and guide you a little bit more of who's going to be a perfect fit. And honestly, personality is a big thing. Like if you're going to work with an executive coach, you want to make sure that the personality is there, that it works very well. And also, if you know you're not good at keeping yourself accountable, then maybe you need to find an executive coach that includes accountability because you can't do that on your own. So they should personality be compatible, but also they should be able to help you with what you know your weaknesses are. Oh, that's good advice. And can they ask for references from the executive coach? Yeah, I have clients where they'll ask for career coaching references and I obviously get approved from my clients, but then they're able to have those discussions and testimonials and other things. Like I even have them say, hey, before we work together, why don't you listen to my, where I've been a podcast and learn my philosophy, what I value, my personality, and you think will be great. Let's continue having this conversation. I'm glad you brought that up because that was actually my next question. I wanted you to tell us all about your podcast what is it about? What's it called? And where can listeners find it? It's called Roadmap to the Executive Suite. So the podcast is aimed for ambitious women who, you know, wherever they are in the career journey, maybe they're thinking about the executive suite or not. They are bringing in a lot of executive women so we can understand what are some of these misconceptions we all have around being an executive suite. And I even bring in executive recruiters and recruiters to kind of just, you know, go behind the scenes of how is it really done and how do they look for talent. And then focusing on how can I help you know women start transitioning and make those keep moving along their career path. So whether you're recent graduate, mid-level, or you're breaking into your first director role, and that's kind of like in hindsight in a few years, then the podcast is there for you to give you the resources to help you move ahead. That's great. And where can people reach you for your coaching services? At my website, ClaudiaTMiller.com. And also on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. So if you look up Claudia T. Miller, you'll be able to find me. And in the Hazard Girls Facebook group pretty soon, I think, right? Yes. Yeah, I'll definitely be joining. Okay. Sounds great. Well, Claudia Miller, Executive Career Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to stop by the Hazard Girls. Your advice and guidance is so appreciated. And I know I'm inspired. So I'm sure many women out there are inspired. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.